Now, as we start out, I'm going to start with a, a riddle. What's in the box? What is in the box, the black box that I have in front of me? I'm going to give you nine clues. Here they go. Number one, a powerful force is in the box, easily one of the most powerful forces in the world. Uh, it can bring either life or death. Number three, it can either bring harmony or chaos into relationships. In this box is the power to break hearts or to mend hearts. It can ruin or launch reputations and careers. It's caused both peace and war. Uh, it can lead the lost to Christ or send a soul into eternity without Jesus. It's one of the most feared and praised forces in the world. Each of you has one right now in your possession. Uh, can anybody guess what's in the box? What's that? A, a, tongue, a human tongue? Do you, think, do you think I'm a serial killer or something like that? You know, your, pa your pastor is Hannibal Lecter. You know, okay, here we go. Uh, not, not a human tongue. It is a tongue, not a human tongue, but a cow's tongue. Okay, anybody want to see it? How many? Okay, all the guys are like, yeah. Okay, here, now that's what I'm talking about. Right there, the guys want to see it. The ladies do not. So I tell you what, if you don't want to see it, close your eyes right now. If you do want to see it, open your eyes. There it is right there. Oh, yeah. Is that disgusting or what? Uh, Pastor Sean, by the way, is, is, knows how to get a, a, a cow's tongue. I got it at El Super, at Indian Hill, and, uh, and um, let's see, Indian Hill and uh, Holt, I think it was. And so if you need to know how to get exotic things, ask Pastor Sean. He knows where to get them. So at any rate, uh, if you would you turn with me now to your study outlines. And as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also our friends in Kalispell, Montana. And uh, by the way, high school section, I did the tongue thing for you. I knew you guys would love the cow tongue. And by the way, if anybody wants to take that home for lunch, it's only been out like a few hours, and so I, I think it'll still be good by the end of the day, and so take advantage of that. Now, the title of our study from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12, is The Taming of the Tongue. Uh, when you go to the doctor and he or she wants to find out if you're healthy or not, what do they have you do? What's one of the things they have you do? Stick out your tongue. Stick your tongue out. You've done that ever since you were a kid. How many remember the, the, the tongue suppressors that they used to stick in your mouth like that? Make you gag on them a little bit if you have a gag reflex like me. And so you'd stick out your tongue because a doctor knows that they can tell a lot about your health or lack of health by looking at your tongue. And James is going to say exactly the same thing today. He's going to say that by look, listening to what comes from the tongue, you can tell a lot about a person's heart. You can tell a lot about a person's walk with the Lord by what comes through their tongue. Now, if James was writing this today, I think he would call it not the taming of the tongue, but the taming of the text or the taming of the tweet. Uh, and so let's say those three words real fast together. Tongue, text, tweet. Okay, ready? Three times, out loud, together. Tongue, text, tweet. Tongue, text, tweet. Tongue, text, tweet. The taming of the tongue, the taming of the text, the taming of the tweet. Now, it's in two sections. The first is just one verse. is a specific word to anybody who teaches in any field, I believe, but specifically here for anybody that teaches God's Word. Then the remainder of the passage is going to talk about just ordinary conversation uh, that we have and taming our tongue. So in verse 1, James chapter 3, he talks about the teacher. James chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Not many of you should become teachers. That means of the Bible. Uh, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, I cringe when I hear James say, not many of you. Because I'm telling you, at Purpose Church, 
we need hundreds of teachers. We need them everywhere. So James, you're killing me here, not many of you. I'm like, all of you, you know, we need teachers, parents teaching their kids in the home. We need, we need teachers in HSM, high school ministry, junior high ministry, small group leaders, uh, life group leaders, and fifth to sixth ministry. We need it in adult Sunday school class and, and life groups. Uh, we need it in children's ministry. They need all kinds of teachers. Just as we publicized this morning, we need like 150 of them for vacation Bible school. And so we need teachers. And so what he's saying here is not that we should limit the number of teachers, but instead we should be careful when we do teach because there's a great responsibility on that. And so we got to balance what James says here with what Paul says in Romans 12, verse 7. He says he lists all the different spiritual gifts that people have. And one of them, he says, if your gift is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. And so if you are able to teach the Bible and share God's word, you're supposed to, you're commanded to do it, but we should do it carefully. Now, why be careful? For two reasons. First of all, because when you teach God's word, it has the potential to affect many lives. Uh, When I just write something that's just for myself, I'm very casual about it. I don't worry about the spelling. I don't worry about the grammar. I don't worry about the legibility. But if I know that what I'm producing is going to be copied, there are going to be copies made for other people, now I'm careful. I watch out for the spelling. I watch out for the grammar. I'm very careful if I know that copies are going to be made of it. And when you teach God's word, you are copying God's word from your life into the life of another person. Now, I want to encourage teachers. How many of you are either school teachers, homeschool teachers, um, teachers in in one of our classes, Bible study or or life groups, uh, any kind of teacher. If you're parents, you are a teacher to your children. Raise your hand if you're a teacher. Okay. I want to give a word of encouragement to you. Now, you say, well, this isn't a very good time because the teachers have just finished uh, their year of school. Maybe it's the best time. Maybe you teachers just finished your classroom uh, this last week, and you're like, never again. I can't go back this fall. I just can't do it. And somehow you're going to get back up the mat and do it again next fall. Well, I want to give an encouragement to all teachers, and it's Galatians 6, verse 9. Let us not become weary in doing good. And when you are teaching, you are doing good. For at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. You keep planting seeds. Persevere. Don't give up. Because at the proper time, you're going to reap a harvest if you hang in there and you don't give up. Now, I would encourage you, prepare well for teaching children as well as adults. There's a tendency that when you're going to be up in front of your peers, in front of adults, you're more careful at at how you prepare uh, than with children. I think the exact opposite should be the case. You should be even more careful with children. Why? Because when you teach adults, as I'm doing right now, I'm just adding one layer to hundreds, if not thousands of times that you've been taught God's word. But when you're teaching a child, you're one of the first influencers on that child. That makes it even more important. The younger the audience, the more important it is because you've got more influence because you're one of the first ones to shape somebody with God's word. So prepare as much for children as you do for adults. And then I would also say, uh, prepare for small groups with the same energy that you produce, uh, that you prepare for larger groups. Sometimes there's a tendency. The more people that are gonna be in the room, the harder you prepare. But you need to prepare if you're handling God's word thoroughly every time. Because you know why? Because you never know what God is up to. You just never know what's happening in that room. You never know what God is up to. Boy, yesterday, I got that nailed home to me. Um, I accepted an invitation to speak to a student conference uh, here in Pomona, and it was student graduates from Pomona High Schools all across Pomona. And I was supposed to be one of the speakers. And uh, they said there's going to be about 100 people there. 
Uh, but I still said yes because I have a heart for Pomona and because it's in the city, I, I said, yeah, I'm going to do that. Well, then I really regretted it because Kimberly's out of town in Washington, D.C. this weekend. So I got the kids. Um, and then plus, you know, I had a very, very intense and busy week. And so I thought, oh, my goodness, why would I prepare for 100 where I'm going to be talking to thousands on Sunday morning? I got to spend my time there rather than there. But the Lord really convicted me on this point. Whenever you're preparing God's word, you prepare regardless of the size. And so I gave it the same effort, the same energy, the same preparation. And sure enough, I drive over there on uh, yesterday, and it's not 100, it's fewer than 100 that are there. But I said, you know what? I'm committed. I'm teaching God's Word. I'm going to do it with all my heart. And so I did. And as I'm leaving, the person that coordinated the event said, hey, Glenn, I just thought you'd be interested. Uh, we got the numbers in from those that are online and Facebook and different things online. And there were 5,000 students online while you were teaching. And I was like, thank you, Lord, you know, uh, that I had prepared because I was just tempted to throw something together because it was a smaller group. And, and yet, you never know what God's up to, do you? You never know. Now, the second reason why we need to be careful is because God will expect you to live what you teach and expect spiritual attack if you are speaking God's, teaching God's word. It just expect it. And as I said a few weeks ago, as pastors often realize that whatever we're teaching on on a given Sunday, that's the area we tend to get attacked on. It's just like, it's just like clockwork. Whatever we're going to preach on, because Satan just loves to sit here the whole time I'm preaching, whispering in my ear, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite, you're a hypocrite. If only they knew, if only they knew, if only they knew. He loves whispering that in your ear. So he will particularly attack you in the area you're preparing. This week, I'm going to confess to you, I had one of the worst weeks of my life with the taming of the tongue. A Tuesday was one of the worst days of my life, uh, taming of the tongue. I just had a lousy day on that. Now, I prepared this sermon outline two months ago. And so I forget what I'm preaching on from week to week. And I prepared this outline two months ago. So after this horrific Tuesday, I come into the office Wednesday morning and say, okay, what's next in James? And I look at the sermon outline, the taming of the tongue. I'm like, Lord, are you kidding me? Are you kidding me? How can I preach on that this particular week? And so you got to be careful because God is going to expect you to live what you teach. Uh, A while back, the New York City Department of Transportation was embarrassed they found that four of the top 10 parking violators in the department were those responsible to ticket illegally parked vehicles. A computer check by the Parking Violations Bureau showed that four staff members owed between $5,000 and $8,000 each in unpaid parking tickets. How could the traffic department hope to have the respect of the public when it was not living up to its own principles. And the same thing is true uh, when we share God's word. Okay, the remainder of our time, let's talk about the tongue, ordinary conversation. Typical person uh, says 30,000 words per day. Average person speaks 30,000 words a day. They say that you will spend a fifth of your life talking. A fifth of your life is spent talking. And James says here that no one can tame the human uh, tongue. Let me ask you a question, raise your hand. How many of you have ever been hurt by something somebody else said? Let me see. How many of you ever have ever regretted something that you have said? Let me see your hands. Oh, my goodness. On, on Monday mornings, I think I've told you this before, uh, Kimberly will hear me in shaving in the bathroom. And she's all the way in the kitchen. And I'm in the bathroom. And she can hear me all the way, a uh, different part of the house in the kitchen. While I'm shaving, I'm going, oh, oh, no. Oh, man. I'm not cutting myself shaving. 
I'm thinking about everything I said the day before. Whether it's in personal conversations or whether it's preaching here, I'm thinking about what I should have said that I didn't say. Uh, I'm thinking about something I said that I should have said. I mean, I'm just, I'm just going through that, and it is painful on, mon- on Monday morning because I'm just remembering that what seems so clever under the influence of adrenaline on Sunday morning is going to seem so different on the post-adrenaline of, of Monday morning. And so we all uh, have trouble taming our tongue. He says in verse 2, chapter 3, verse, uh, verse 2, we all stumble in many ways. Boy, that's true, isn't it? Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. I tell you what would be a lot harder than the bracelet, WWJD, what would Jesus do? would be the bracelet WWJS. Anybody want to guess what that is? What would Jesus say? Exactly. What would Jesus say? Boy, that, I think that would be a harder one to live up to because you can say something in a moment. Sometimes it takes a little bit to work up to do something wrong, but uh, to say something can come just in a split second. And that's why the Bible says that we need a Savior. Boy, if there's ever an area where I know I need Jesus, it is in the taming of the tongue. Romans 3.23 uh, Paul says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory or the perfect standards of God. So, number one, uh, James says, the tongue, it's small, but it's powerful. So on this long walk of obedience that we're on, in the book of James, the tongue is small, but it's powerful. He compares it to a bit in the, horse, in the mouth of a horse. Uh, verse three, when we put bits into the mouths of horses, that little piece of metal, then a huge horse will obey us. We can turn the whole animal, a big giant horse, from just a little piece of metal in his mouth. James gives us another example in verse 4. He says it's like the rudder of a big ship, or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. And then the third example he gives is sparks of of flame. Uh, Verse 5, likewise the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Boy, we know that as Californians, don't we? Entering into fire season, you know, one cigarette, you throw out the window of your car as you're driving, big fire. Campfire, you forget to put out, big fire. And we are entering into fire season and the brave uh, fire people within our church uh, personnel, fire personnel within our church family and throughout Southern California, we know that they're going to be dealing with those fires. Uh, this past week, I read about Australia's uh, Camp York, uh, Cape York Peninsula. They have such severe droughts once a year, just incredible droughts, almost more than any other place on the planet, that they have to be careful during this time of yearly drought not to leave a glass bottle out in the sun. Not just because of littering, but because when the sun rays hit a glass bottle, it can cause a fire that will roar for weeks and weeks and weeks. Just by leaving a glass bottle uh, out in the sun, it can cause that kind of fire. Uh, The average tongue is four inches long. I'll have rulers up here after the service to see if you want to check if yours is uh, average or not. Average tongue weighs two ounces, so we'll have little weights up here. You can put your tongue on it and see. I tell you, that cow tongue Good night. That thing seemed to weigh five pounds or something like that. But anyway, uh, two ounces. Now think about how much you weigh, okay? On the count of three, let's just shout out what, what that number. I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I don't want you knowing. I don't want you knowing that. I'm not going to say that. But think about two ounces 
compared to your total body weight. It's nothing. The tongue is nothing. And yet it has tremendous, tremendous power. Second thing James says is the tongue. It's necessary, but it is dangerous. It is dangerous. Um, Historians tell us that Hitler's book, Mein Kampf, uh, this is the book that described the Nazi philosophy. Uh, They tell us that for every word that he wrote in this book, 125 people died during World War II. For every word of Mein Kampf, 125 people uh, died. Uh, Calvin Coolidge, a president of the United States, he was known for being a man of few words. And I love this quote from his. I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. Think about that for a minute. I have never been hurt by anything I did not say. And boy, that's true. I've never gotten in trouble from something I didn't say. Now, I would say sometimes there's a time to speak up uh, for Jesus, uh, to speak up for justice. And so sometimes other people can be hurt by something we remain silent on. But as far as personally, uh, I've never been hurt by anything that I did not say. There was a poster during World War II that went like this. Loose lips sink ships. And this is an actual poster. This is what it looked like uh, that was all over the place in the United States during World War II because they said you might work in a, in a munitions factory or you might have a son that's going uh, on a troop transport at a certain time and you're just talking about it and some Nazi or German spy overhears what you say and, and that troop transport your son and other sons might be on uh, coming out of New York Harbor at 7 o'clock in the morning might have a German U-boat a submarine waiting outside the harbor to sink that vessel because loose lips might sink ships. I was amazed that even today, our son Andrew, when he was in Kuwait and Afghanistan, we couldn't know anything about when he was going to leave, when he was going to come back, when he was moving from Kuwait to Afghanistan, when he was coming back. We couldn't know anything. We didn't know when he was going to come home exactly until he got back in the United States. Then he could call us. Why? It all goes back to the same thing, loose lips, uh, might sink ships. Uh, another analogy gives us fire, kind of back to the sparks and the fire. Uh, verse 6, uh, James writes, the tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Oh my gracious, he's got some hang I think he's been wounded. What do you guys think? He was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem, I bet you the things that the Pharisees were saying there in Jerusalem about the early church, I mean, you just get the impression that, that, that James had just been absolutely ripped uh, the way he talks about the human tongue. He says it's untamed, uh, verse 7, untamed. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but the tongue is the one that can't be tamed, and that makes it deadly. Uh, verse 8, it's deadly. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Boy, I I just came across a sad example of this this past uh, week. I'm going to, those of you that are old enough to recognize the name, I'm going to reveal myself to be an old guy, an old man, and a geeky, nerdy old man. My favorite singer during the 60s and 70s was Karen Carpenter. Anybody remember Karen Carpenter? The Carpenters, oh, that was my favorite group. They were uh, a brother, sister, Richard and, and Karen Carpenter were brother, sister. And Karen Carpenter, I mean, I just, I just think she had the best voice of, of that decade, man. Just an amazing, amazing singer. 
But it was so, so sad because, as you know, uh, she died of heart failure at the age of 32 after years of fighting an eating disorder. So she had had this terrible eating disorder despite all of her success, and it eventually led to her having heart failure and dying at the age of 32. Here's the part I did not know. Her fatal obsession with her weight was triggered by a single reviewer's comment. When referring to Karen, um, after their first album that you'll see up there, when referring to Karen, this man called her Richard's chubby sister. While I'm sure there were other factors contributing to her struggles, this one comment unleashed a flurry of self-doubt which led to her eventual disease and death. She must have gotten a thousand good reviews because her voice was magnificent. But all she remembered was the one thing that somebody had written called her the chubby little sister of Richard, her brother, and that unleashed this storm within her. How many of you here in church today have been hurt by statements like this? Uh, You're fat. You're ugly. You're worthless. You're stupid. You're a loser. You cannot do anything right. It's all your fault. I wish you had never been born. I hate you. You're the one responsible for all of your problems. And, 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 and James just tells us we've got to be so careful with what we say. So many times I find that with my words, I do, instead of ready, aim, fire, I do ready, fire, aim. That's the way I operate many times. Just ready, fire, and then I aim. Like, oop, how can I pick up the pieces from what I said? Instead, James is saying, look, take a deep breath, ready, then aim, pray about it, consider it, give it time, and then fire it off. Uh, Good things come to people that wait in all areas of life, but particularly when you wait to consider what you say uh, before you say it. Um, Let me do a little um, quiz for the high schoolers here, okay? Here you guys, high school section. I'm going to be picking on you a lot, I have a feeling. Um, Okay, I got an envelope with a check for $100,000 in it. Actually, that's a lie. It's, it's a check of mine, and it's got void written right across it. Okay, here's what it has. But let's say I have a check for 100000 and you can have that when you walk out here. You can have a check for $100,000, or you can have this penny, which will be doubled every day for 30 days. You just have to wait 30 days on it. Well, you can probably know it's a trick question. Which one do you think you should take? The penny, absolutely. Any guesses as to how much that penny would be worth if you doubled it for 30 days? You just want to take a shot at it? Million, yeah, millions, yeah, exactly. Five and a half million dollars. This will be worth five and a half million dollars, a penny doubled every day for 30 days compared to 100,000. And that's the way it is with what we say. We can say something, oh, it felt so good, got $100,000. That felt like a $100,000 put down to that person. Or I can wait on it and pray about it and consider it and I get a five and a half million dollar impact because I considered my words uh, carefully. Also, I communicate more clearly. The faster I communicate, the less clear I am, the more room there is for misunderstanding. But when, when I take time and consider, I can communicate more clearly. It's kind of like this um, German commercial. Let's watch this. Das hier ist mein Sektor. Das hier ist das wichtigste Gerät des Küstenwächter. Das Gerät und das Gerät. Überlebensradar. Hello? 
This is the German Coast Guard. We are thinking, we're thinking. What are you thinking about? That's like my favorite clip. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about drowning right now is what I'm thinking about. Number three, the tongue is helpful but inconsistent. And James says, hey, you shouldn't sing praise songs in church and then rip on somebody driving home from church or at lunch after church. He says in verses 9 through 12, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Uh, he, a little girl sat with her arms wrapped around her father's neck, but her mother observed that over the father's shoulder, she was sticking out her tongue at her little brother. The mother responded by saying, take your arms from around your father's neck. You cannot love your father and at the same time stick out your tongue at his son. To profess God, love for God while reviling men and women made in his image is a brazen offense against God. Here are some things to consider before speaking something that may be harmful. Ask yourself these five questions. Number one, is it true? Is what I'm going to speak the truth? If not, stop. Number two, is it necessary? Jesus said we're going to be judged for every careless word. Matthew 12, verse 36. But I tell you that everyone will have to give account on the day of judgment for every empty word uh, that they have spoken. There are so many things that we say that are not necessary. Number three, is it beneficial? Is what I'm going to say going to build someone up or tear them down? Uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, verse 29, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. Uh, let me give you a challenge uh, for the coming week. Um, I want to challenge us as a church family to every person we talk to in the next seven days. This is only for a week, only for a week. For the next seven days, try to say, think of something encouraging to say to a friend, a fellow student, somebody at work. Try to think of something encouraging to say to every person you talk to this week. Let me narrow it down a little bit. Parents, let's try to say something encouraging to our children every time we talk to our children this week. Um, husbands, wives, if you're married, try to say something positive to your husband or your wife. And every time you talk to them this week, try to say something positive, uh, encouraging uh, to them. Okay, high schoolers, make sure your parents' hearts are in good condition on this one. But say something positive to your parents. I want you to, this is a seven-day challenge, okay? Every time you talk to your parents uh, this week, Emma, I'm going to check with your dad, Pastor Greg. Okay, I'm going to check to see if he did this. I, uh, poor Emma. Pastor's kids always get picked on, don't they? Okay, especially they sit in the second row. Every time you talk to your parents this week, think of something encouraging to say to them. Thanks so much, uh, Mom and Dad, for working so hard that, that we have a house to live in. Uh, thanks so much for that meal. I don't know, something encouraging. Everything you say. Okay, now it's going to get even tougher. To your brother or sister, I want you to say something encouraging. 
Every time you talk to your brother or your sister, now they're avoiding eye contact right now, okay. Uh, brother and sister, every time you talk to your brother and sister, say something encouraging to them this week. Chuck Swindoll tells the story about a guy he went to seminary with. This man had a bright red birthmark that covered half of his face. I can identify a little bit because my grandmother, my dad's mom, farm wife in upstate Michigan near the Canadian border, just had immigrated from Sweden. She had this big birthmark on half her face. She was so embarrassed by it. We tried to cover it up. Wouldn't go out in public much because of it. And this man had a bright red birthmark that covered half of his face. After Chuck got to know him a little bit, he finally got up the courage to ask him what had happened. His friend answered by telling him what his dad had told him. Son, that birthmark is where an angel kissed your face. You have it so that I can always pick you out of a crowd. Swindoll's friend then turned to him and said, You know, I almost feel sorry for those who don't have a birthmark. That dad spoke words of life to his son, and the son was still living off those words years later. As the praise band comes back uh, to lead us in some worship before we recognize our graduates, um, let's just go before the Lord in prayer. Lord, right now I pray that we will give initial consecration of our um, hearts to you, that if we've never received Jesus as our Savior and Lord, that right now, Lord, we just open up our hearts in our own words. uh, We say, uh, Lord Jesus, I open up uh, my heart um, uh, to you. I, I open it up for you to come into my heart, to give me a heart transplant. Um, and now, um, as the praise band comes back up, uh, daily consecration. Every day, say, Jesus, would you live your life uh, through me? Galatians 2, verse 20, I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then moment by moment consecration. Psalm 19, verse 14, and I would encourage you to to maybe write this verse down. Psalm 19, verse 14. I I pray this on a regular basis, um, every day. I pray it more than regularly on Sundays. I pray this as I walk from my office over to the worship center. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. If you've never received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, right now would you repeat this prayer with me? Dear Jesus, I open up my heart to you. Give me a heart transplant. Live within my heart so that the overflow of my heart will be things that are pleasing to you. And then every day, Lord Jesus, live your life through me. Speak the words, what would Jesus say? And then every moment, moment by moment, walking into a meeting, walking into a classroom at school, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. We pray this now in Jesus' name and all God's family said, amen.